Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of, but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coaches, how are you today? Hope everybody's doing well and staying healthy. Uh, trying to keep a positive attitude uh, in this, uh, definitely this time of duress and stress. Hey, welcome to episode 144 of the Championship Vision Podcast. Today, we're inter- interviewing Dr. Anthony Pappas. He's the head girls basketball coach and athletic director at Waterloo High- West High School in Iowa. In his 40th year as head coach of Waterloo West High School and 43rd year overall as a head coach. As a prep athlete, he played on Mason City High School basketball and baseball teams that participated in five state tournaments while winning two state championships. He achieved all-state honorable mention all-American status while playing at Mason City High School. He has won numerous Coach of the Year awards, including being named the National Federation of High School's National Girls Basketball Coach of the Year in 2015. He was a recipient of the Morgan Wooten Lifetime Achievement Award bestowed by the Naismith National Basketball Hall of Fame in April 2016. In addition, he was awarded the Golden Plaque of Distinction by the Iowa High School Girls Athletic Union in March 2016 the highest coaching award given by this organization. He was inducted into the Iowa Girls Coaches Association State Basketball Hall of Fame in 2005. He was a finalist for the National High School Athletic Coaches Association National Coach of the Year Award in 2017. He's the only Iowa coach to be selected to coach in both the McDonald's High School All-American Game and the WBCA All-American Game, both televised by ESPN. Dr. Pappas has coached numerous Division I recruits and has taken several Warhawk teams to the Iowa Girls State Basketball Tournament. His coaching record, 570 and 371. State tournament, seven state tournament bursts, including six Final Four appearances. Coaches, uh, I just take a lot of pride in interviewing the best of the best high school coaches in America, and Coach Tony Pappas is one of those. Um, I really, a long time ago, I would say about, probably about 18 years ago, had an opportunity to um, uh, reach out, and uh, he gave me some of his videos, and actually, I purchased the videos, uh, but he had a chance to uh, respond back to me, and he was very open to helping me as a young coach. So I really appreciate uh, what he's doing for the game, what he did for me. I got all of his videos. He got eight videos out there. He's got notebooks. He's got a lot of great, great stuff for us coaches to learn. And at that time, you know, as a young coach, you know, I was really looking for the best teachers to emulate, and uh, he was a great example, great mentor of mine. So I, I just want to introduce um, Coach Tony Pappas. 
Tony, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Kevin. Can you hear me? Ken, how are you? How are you, Coach? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great, great. Just make sure my audio is okay. Sometimes on the phone, you never know. Right. <laughs> uh, Jack. Yeah. Uh, hey, man, it's always good. I'm, I'm so uh, I'm so grateful that you uh, decided to join us on that. I love getting uh, great minds on this podcast. I love picking the brains of you guys. So I, I'm still learning the game. So and a lot of coaches are. So thank you for uh, joining us this morning. Still learning it, too. <laughs> After three um, years, I might learn something here. Right, right. I got you. Yeah, but um, I got to tell you, um, uh, I'm I'm so uh, indebted to you uh, in what you. I got all your videos and uh, all your notebooks. And I tell you, it's really helped me. It's so detailed. It's really helped me over the years. And I I've been coaching for thirty years, so um, and I still I still have it. So I was just I was just looking at it the other day and so forth. I I got to get a hold of Coach Pappas and. Brad Smith was very fortunate to uh, give me your contact. So thanks again. Oh, it's great. Yeah, 30 years. Hey, you're a youngster. You know, you, <laughs> you're way behind me. So, but, but 30 right. years, you know, there aren't too many people that have been doing it for 30 years here. So let me tell you, congratulations to you. Yeah, thank you. Well, I hope I make it up to the uh, up to uh, 40, 40, whatever on that. You know, of course, nowadays you got to coach forever, man, just to get the retirement. <laughs> it's my retirement but uh it's been good it's been good and i'm still the ad too so it's a big job okay yeah for sure hey i always ask everybody you know how do you get started in the game as a youth and i i always feel like what you did as a youth in the game or in sports or whoever you come across kind of leads you to what you do in a career i really firmly believe that in coaching so kind of tell us a little bit about your journey kind of as, as a kid. Sure. I, uh, I grew up and uh, all young kids did probably back then, not as much now, but uh, and I love baseball and I love basketball and played football a little bit, but my mother didn't want me to play football. So I ended up playing uh, baseball and basketball when I was in uh, junior high and, and then in high school. And then that, I uh, had some great success, especially in basketball and baseball, too, and then uh, played at the collegiate level and then uh, catapulted me into my first teaching job, which was at a very small school in Iowa. And so I came out at uh, age 22 or whatever, and they made me a head uh, girls basketball coach. At the time, I wanted to be a head boys basketball coach, but they told me, uh, hey, no, you'll uh, I sent up the ladder much faster in the girls' ranks than you would in the boys' ranks, which was probably true. So I started a small school called Mallard that doesn't exist anymore. I think at the time I was there, it had a graduating class of about 15 students and <laughs> uh, was really pretty successful. And then I moved up to a middle-sized high school in Iowa, which was uh, at that time North High of West Union, and then uh, stayed there for one year, two years at Mallard, one year there, and then... Uh, uh, Waterloo West High School uh, came a knocking, and uh, they offered me a position and a teaching job. And so I've been at Waterloo West High School now for uh, 40 straight years and uh, just concluded my 43rd year as a head coach and uh, actually kind of starting with my uh, 44th year now, getting my team prepared for uh, next year. We were very fortunate. We had a very young team this year, but we went to the Final Four again. And... Um, 
just missed out again getting that championship game. So that's kind of been my career path. And then along the way, I evolved from a teacher and going to night school and, you know, got my master's and my doctorate. I actually do have a doctorate. Some people think I just put that on there like I'm a, you know, doctor of shooting <laughs> or, you know, shot right. coach or something, shot doctor or whatever. But actually do have my doctorate. Uh, now it's uh, been about 30 some years I've had my doctorate. So, uh, and then uh, at my high school, they, uh, in my school district, they kind of had a rule you couldn't coach and be an administrator. And they wanted me to be the AD for many years. And uh, they kind of wouldn't allow that to happen. And then finally we had a really good AD and he left in the middle of summer. And so they kind of acquiesced and they made an exception for me. So they've allowed me to be the athletic director and uh, head girls basketball coach because I was not ready to give up the coaching. I really uh, love it. I enjoy it. And it's been great. And it's been good for me. And I've tried to help a lot of people, you know, like yourself with sharing and growing the game. And, uh, you know, it's been a wonderful journey. So kind of there's the Reader's Digest version of my life. I love it. Uh, it's amazing, though, how, I mean, you've been at the same school, correct, Coach, for 40 years. Is that correct? Same that school? Correct. 40 years at the same school, which is yeah. a rarity in this day and age. I was going to ask you, it's a rarity. Uh, not only that, you sense that. I sense that coaches are getting out of the game and maybe it's just my perspective on that. I think it's, I think it's, you're asking a lot more and more of coaches and they're not paying us coaches. Let's be honest. So how did, how did you remain that consistency and stayed in the game for so long? Well, you know, that's a, that's a great question that you ask and I'm going to kind of give you some facts and figures here. Um, I'm the athletic director as well. So mm. believe it or not, I oversee, uh, over 100 people report to me because I have almost 80 contracted coaches, 20, 30 volunteers, administrative assistant, two co-ops, event managers, uh, athletic trainer, and strength and conditioning coach. Well, of the head coaches, and that's about 25 of them, uh, when I first took over, I did not have another head coach that was even in double digits. So the other 24 were at uh, experience levels of four, six, two, one, eight, nine. And then at the time it was me and I was at like, you know, 35 years. So it is a real rarity now. There's so much pressure on people. And as you said, you do not get paid that much to coach compared to the amount of time you put in. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting because we as high school coaches, as you would know, work very, very, very hard. And, you know, we might make even at the large school level, five thousand, six thousand, eight thousand dollars, and yet you know, collegiately, especially in the men's, you know, it could be millions of dollars, or even the females, there's million dollar contracts. But uh, at the same time, there seems to be the same amount of pressure, whether you put it on yourself or from parents or administrators. Hey, you know, you got to win, you got to be successful, and that's what's really kind of driven. Uh, coaches out of the game. Uh, now it's become a year-round uh, vocation, and if you're not willing to spend that time, you're not going to be successful. Yeah, that's so true. That's well put. And I'm not sure if it's going to change and so forth. And I, I don't think you get in it for the money. And I think there's other means, right, Coach Camp? So there's other means for coaches to get a passive income. And I, I guess that's a whole new podcast. But uh, I do would like to see overall in our country – 
more money put into teachers, the human side rather than the capital side, like buildings and things like that. But that's that's all different. Because I think coaches are vastly underpaid. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're correct there, no doubt about it. And I've actually lobbied to have our coaches paid more, and my uh, administrators actually supported me on that. So not that we're making a killing, you know, uh, coaching, but in our state, we feel pretty good that we're, you know, of course, we're one of the largest schools in our state. And, uh, you know, we're at the top end of our salary schedules here. And nationally, uh, I'd say we're fairly competitive. But, uh, you know, school finance is a, is a different baby there. And, <laughs> you is. know, like we have a one cent option sales tax, and that has to go all to infrastructure and structural needs. And, you know, in general budget, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's a complicated situation to work through. But like you said at the beginning, you know, we don't do it for the money, trust me and trust you, but we do it for the love right. of the game. We do it for the love, that's for sure. Um, now, considering the pandemic and everything going on, how have you, how have you adjusted to it? Because I know I've, I put a, basically I put a, like a quarantine homework program for all my players, videos, all that. How are you adapting to these changes? And I, I think it's going to change us for a while. So how are you adapting to this? Well, that's a great question. Uh, first of all, if you really knew my background, every day that I'm in Waterloo and not out traveling, putting on clinics and doing things of that sort, which I used to do a lot, uh, every day that I was in town, I was at the school building, and that would include Saturdays and Sundays, and I think I spent every major holiday at that school building, you know, and you have to, to stay on top of things, unfortunately. Well, now, you know, I've been banned from the school building, so you work totally from home with everything that you do. As a matter of fact, uh, and so being an administrator, being a leader, I try to lead the other athletic directors in our district, and I try to lead our coaches, and I also try to lead our players, and I'll explain all this here in-depthly to you. So what we've done is we've developed, because uh, we had gotten a grant from a family that wanted to help athletics here, in Waterloo, and we've hired uh, people to do webinars for us to do professional development for uh, athletic directors. So, and you won't believe this, but at three o'clock today, we have Bob Bowlesby speaking to our district athletic directors and our coaches. Bob Bowlesby is a Waterloo West graduate, so you know I had a contact with him, and and he graciously agreed, and so. Uh, we're going to pay Bob, you know, an honorarium of $100 for an hour of his time. I think he only <laughs> makes, I think he only makes about $7 million, but, uh, right. you know, and I'm sure he's going to get the money back. But there's an example. So we're trying to enrich our, uh, you know, our athletic directors. And, and Bob's going to be very interesting this afternoon. You know, he's going to talk about the $4.1 billion in lost revenue and how that could affect or cancel all collegiate sports for the upcoming right. year you know, those types of things. And then actually right before I got on, I was looking at ESPN and they have the University of Iowa president saying we may start workouts June 1st because we're not a quarantine state. You know, we're one of the five states that, you know, it doesn't have that, that designation. And so then what we've done with our coaches is then we've set up um, the educational webinars to 
give them professional development. So we've hired national championship coaches in track, in wrestling. Uh, we uh, brought in uh, collegiate coaches, and we try to do one or two of these every week for an hour. And, you know, we have the chat room so that people can, you know, submit their questions. And it's just been great. And for some of them then, we've included our players. My players have, you know, attended some of these uh, educational webinars. But what am I doing with the players? That's, that's a very interesting question. And being an athletic administrator and having to deal with the state, it, you may not believe this, but we, even though electronically, they tell us as coaches, you need to reach out to your players. Well, we do that. And all we can say is, you know, are you okay? Do you need any help? Or, you know, how are your academics coming? Because we're out of season right now and we're supposed to have no contact with our players. I we can't really send them workouts you know we're just like the ncaa they kind of close that down too so what i've done is usually on a daily basis i tried to send out educational things uh touch base with them every day uh leadership articles or you know if there's an educational webinar you know we may have invited them to but i can't send them workouts i can't tell them you know work on your dribbling and work on your shooting i can't evaluate their shooting in our state, we have unlimited contact starting June 1st. Well, we'll have unlimited contact if the governor allows us to open up our buildings and facilities. Sure. And right now, that's up in the air. So it's, you know, it's, it's been completely different. The only thing I will say right now has usually been a little slower period. You know, we ended right when everything shut down because we went to the state semifinals. So we ended the first week of March and then the next week everything shut down and then usually this is a period where a lot of our players do other sports as well and I encourage that and so they might have gotten a gym a couple times a week for open gym we can just open the gym we can't instruct them but a lot of them have played you know club on club teams and that's kind of slowed to a crawl as well although right. um, one of the club coaches just told me he is doing educational webinars or he is prescribing you know my players to do this this and this which he can do as a club coach that I can't do as a high school coach so it's a whole different realm that we're dealing with and a lot of these guidelines by the way just came out here in the last couple weeks believe it or not yeah it's it's so and every what's amazing though coach is like I'm in Georgia and of course Georgia is very controversial now because we've opened yeah. up for a week well, not not quite a week, but um, but every state is different. It's you know this has been very political, hasn't it? I don't know if oh. it's for good or it for is. Work. It is so political. Our <laughs> governor takes a lot of heat because we were you know not a quarantine or stay at home state. Although we were different than most states, we broke it down our state into six regions. We have ninety nine counties, and believe it or not, there's still ten to fifteen counties that do not have one case in our state of in their county of coronavirus. And so now yeah. she's chosen to open up a lot of these uh, counties to get them back, but slowly. But I mean, I'll tell you kind of a joke here, because I know you're in Georgia there. Uh, <laughs> I almost got on the plane last weekend. I wanted to fly down and get a haircut, go to a restaurant, go to a movie and get a tattoo <laughs> and then fly back. <laughs> oh, man. 
That would have been classic. Oh, man. Well, you're, you're one of the places, few places in the country last week that we could have done that. So, hey, I, I, almost, I almost did that. I would have had to look you up. <laughs> I coach, your hair's probably really long right now, man. I'm not used to that, man. You probably have some long hair like a hippie. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it looks like I'm getting ready to join the Charlie Daniels band. <laughs> That's funny, man. Hey, we need, we all need a good laugh right now. I love that. Got to have a sense of humor or you'll never make it in coaching or life. Um, Well, I got to tell you, it's a little different out here. Um, uh, I have a prescribed, of course, you know, right now I have some good leaders on our program. And one of the really good coaches who I've interviewed before, he says, you find out what your culture is all about during times like this, because you don't, you're not in contact with the kids that much. You got to rely on what you, what you've done with them for their working out on their own. Right. Yeah. For the most part, but we've given them a strong direction. You know, at the end of the year, we have a check-in meeting, an exit meeting, and we give them, uh, you know, their postseason evaluation. We give them five areas that they need to work on specifically, which we can do as we close the season there. And, you know, those types of things. But once again, then we also provide them with, gymnasiums or weight rooms that now we can't provide them with and they have to go to other you know locations if they're open I mean you know all across the country they were taking down rims and putting boards over the rims so people couldn't even congregate so it's been a tough it's been a challenge but uh, you know uh, one thing and we have a credo you know you got to be flexible but you got to be unflappable and uh, that's we try to live by and but we'll get through it and uh you know, I have I've got really good kids, and they were young kids. They did some great things this year, won some huge games, and uh, I have confidence that they'll be working hard and, you know, be ready. Hopefully, when the season starts in November. Yeah, absolutely, coach. I, I always ask. I always ask great coaches like yourself, like how do how do you build a program? Because I think I think a lot of coaches go into this thinking like, oh, they you know they're trying to access talent, and that's. That's it's nice, but you have to build from the ground up your program. How do you build your culture of your program? How have you done it over the years? Have you adapted each year and changed? Well, you know, that's a, that's a great question. And so if you figured it out, you know, I'm about 66 years old. Okay. <laughs> well, every year I coach, you know, uh, for the most part, 15, 16, 17 year old girls, Okay, every year I get a, a year older, every every year I'm still coaching 15, 16, 17-year-old right. girls. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you better be able to, be, you know, change. You better be able to adapt. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you have the core values of hard work and honesty and being, you know, transparent. You're not really hiding anything. Uh, one, one line I give to all of our coaches and our, uh, and our administrators is, you know, be ready to attack the problem. Don't let the problem attack you. But you build this culture from the ground up. Yes, you know, you have uh, elementary camps and middle school camps, and you've got middle school programs. You try to have vertical articulation. But, but it comes down to, uh, quite honestly, you know, finding the best talent in your school system, developing a relationship with them. I think, you know, the paper asked me the same question here this year because, you know, after 40 years in one school, you know, you have to, you know, upset people along the way that certainly will 
you know, at one time try to get you one way or the other. And somebody said, yeah, how do you last for 40 years in one place? You must be doing something right. Well, you have a sincere interest. You build in the student athlete. You build those relationships. They respond to you. But, you know, we coach our kids hard. I said, I've got a great situation here. Like, you know, I have six assistant varsity coaches and they volunteer to help me because, mm. you know, they want, they, they bought into my vision. They want to help kids and they are great. And, you know, some are like a year or two out of college and some have been coaching for 30 or 40 years. So it's a wide spectrum there. But once again, it all adds to the culture. And so, you know, you develop these relationships with these student athletes and uh, they'll work hard. They'll do what you want to do, you know, whatever you demand of them and then great things can be achieved. But yeah, you know, it's X's and O's. It's, it's a lot of things. And you've seen some of my stuff, you know, from the checklists they have to the detailed practice plans and those types of things. And that all adds to it, but it all starts with the relationships and the culture. Yeah. You got to connect with the kids. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I'd love to help you get game results this season. Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today. Hi, I'm Alex Stevenson, athletic director and girls basketball coach at Dodd City. I've been at Dodd City for seven years. During those seven years, we've won seven district championships, been to six regional tournaments and three state championship games. I'm a huge fan of this podcast, what it brings and the platform that we're able to share knowledge and wisdom on and, and grow as coaches. Hey, Coach, welcome back. Yeah, sorry. Hey, modern technology. you got to be flexible exactly. but flappable. <laughs> Perfectly right there with your philosophy. Uh, that's great. Um, yeah. hey, kind of uh, give you – you were talking about – you know, building the culture from the ground up. Just kind of, uh, just kind of continue on with those thoughts. Yeah, and I don't know where I lost you, but maybe I lost you. I, I basically, you know, you have a structure in place from, you know, elementary school or working with elementary mm-hmm. kids in your camps, getting to know them, identifying them. Then middle school, you try to provide, you know, insight direction for your middle school coaches and try to get them involved as much as you can. You have middle school camps. But it's identifying, you know, the, the top student prospects and developing a relationship with them. And then, you know, you develop your coaching staff as much as you can and put things in place. And believe it or not, X's and O's are probably one of the last things that make you successful. You know, we talk about from the start of the season, the end of the season, do we want three uh, three new plays in February, or do we want three better players in February? Well, obviously, we want better players. But the cornerstone is identifying those student athletes and the developing the great relationship with them, and then uh, doing the very best job you can to coach them. And there's there's so much that goes into you know high school coaching today. I mean, I have my checklist in front of me for my off-season stuff right now. And, you know, it could be everything from fundraising and sending out, you know, communication notes, uh, pushing your players. Uh, It can be, you know, your open gym schedule, pre-summer meeting, pre-summer handouts, uh, you know, your summer schedule, what you're going to do with them. And it all rolls together. 
but it's a lot of work and you have to have people that want to, you know, want to buy in and help you. But that's what develops that great culture and allows you to sustain, you know, a winning program for a long, long time. And I think if I look at my record here of 40 years, there's really only been a handful of years where we've had a losing season and those losing seasons probably were tied to some real key injuries, at least uh, I'm going to say the majority of the four or five years that we've had were probably tied to some major injuries there. But, you know, uh, culture, climate, relationships, and then you finish off with the X's and O's and organization, and now you've got a program and you're rolling. Yeah, and you didn't learn that overnight, just like I did not either. I learned from you know, going to great mentors and great, I consider you a, a mentor because I've studied you and I learned from you and, and, and other great coaches. Um, so this doesn't happen overnight as a beginning coach. You have to pay your dues, don't you? Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, I'll tell you some stories here. Uh, you know, when you start out, uh, somebody told me this, the first five years of your coaching career, you're like a virgin. You know, every, everything is is brand new. It's the first time through, and you may think you're well prepared, you know, but you're not. I remember my very first year of coaching. I turned out the lights of our gym after we were like seven and one, uh, going into Christmas break, and we were going to take a few days off. And I like pulls lights and go, "Oh, you know what? And this is my first year. This isn't very hard." Well, the second half of the season, I found out it was a lot harder, <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it's been a, you know, a great challenge. But yeah, I had this great thirst for knowledge and a drive to continually get better, and that's what I have even today because, you know, one of my bosses said, hey, you know, why are you spending so much money on instructional videos? You know, you've been doing it for 43 years. You'd figure you've learned most of what you need. I said, that's true, but you got to be a lifetime learner. And that's what we instill to all of our players. So what I would do, I would always go to clinics, just like you've gone to clinics. And I'd pick people's brains, you know, whether I'm talking to Bill Walton in, uh, you know, the airport about post-play or um, they're, they're inviting me to California, to Pete Newell's big man camp. You know, I mean, I'm just a high school girls coach from Iowa, or I'm meeting Brad Smith and be able to, you know, his national high school coach of the year and be able to pick his brains or, or meeting a, the Canadian national coach in Nova Scotia. I mean, it was all over and I would travel all over to, to learn the game. And it was like, I'm, I'm working my butt off because I'm traveling these places, and back then, you know, you you weren't you were staying in unair conditioned dorms in the middle of summer. You're not <laughs> sleeping. You're working from, you know, morning till night. I, I remember uh, in Blue Star, we used to start, and it was it was the only place where you, you get four meals a day to work. <laughs> because we have breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then at eleven o'clock the staff meeting would start for the next day and that staff meeting would start, would end about 12, 15, 12, 30. And then we had our uh, midnight snack. And I mean, you know, those types of hours. And then you, so you were continually doing this and it would actually cost me money to work because if I had to fly somewhere, they weren't covering that, you know, whatever they were paying me for the camp. So it would be, Hey, you know, what's wrong with this picture? You're working your butt off. 
you're losing money doing it and you're exhausting yourself, but you had to have that love of the game and the drive to learn all these things because, you know, Hey, guess what? I learned the swim move in 1985 in Malibu, California, working at camp. And now for the last, you know, 35 years, our players have been using that swim move there. So, yeah, it doesn't come overnight, trust me. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that. Um, of course, I, you know, I haven't been to and met all the great people like you have, but I've met a lot of great teachers and coaches that maybe nobody know about. There's a lot of great teachers and coaches out there. Don't you feel oh. like – you almost have to lose money. That, that says you love it. That you, you're not concerned yeah. about money. You're concerned about learning. Right. No, it was absolutely. I remember one summer uh, I worked somewhere in America almost every day. And if I wasn't working, I was traveling to the next job. And I mean, that's the way my schedule was. I mean, it was just massive. And I'll tell you another thing that I did, and this is a tip for your listeners on your podcast here. And this was a great thing that I did. I mean, I did it as a young coach. I made it a point to learn everything I could about shooting in one summer. Everywhere I went, I asked people about shooting. How do you do this? How do you do this? And I was around some of the best shooting coaches in America. But let me tell you, a lot of people... I mean, and and this is this is kind of no exaggeration because I'm even constantly doing it now. I, I can take a kid or I could take you, Kevin. You could shoot two shots in five seconds. I can tell you what's wrong with your shot. Right. Well, that that back then I didn't have a clue of what I know now. And if I knew now what I, you know, had that back then, I would have made my players even better. But, boy, let me tell you, you know, it was just – it was just that thirst for knowledge. And so one summer I learned all about shooting. Then the next summer, psychology of coaching. You know, I, I remember sitting in a gym talk, how do you handle your players psychologically? You have a sports psychologist, talk to college coaches. I mean, just those types of things. Or one summer just talking about defense, you know, how do you teach the 2-3 zone, um, et cetera. And, yeah, so, and I tell you what we use right now, we use this 21 defense that a good friend of mine, Russ Davis, out of Vanguard College in California. I don't know if you ever met Russ, but he's a tremendous coach. He's actually from Iowa originally. And so all I did was, you know, hey, I want to learn about the 21, and uh, people have some different names for it, and then we use it here. And, and that's really strengthened my coaching as well. Yeah, I love that, man. I'm really getting a lot out of that. Um, so, uh, we actually run uh, what we call the buzz defense, uh, which is uh, a lot of court trap, two-one press. Um, and I have just uh, the guy who runs, he created it. And um, I got him on the podcast yet with him in the I would like to know more about your 21 defense you're running. That wasn't my next question, but I think that's a good lead up to kind of find out what you guys are doing about your defense this year. Well, uh, you know, our players really like to play it. Can you hear me okay, by the way? Because I was losing you a little bit there. Okay. How's that? You can hear, you can hear me? Yeah, I got I it. I can hear you great. Great. Our players fun. You know, it's, it's exciting. It wins games. And, you know, even – and I – in my league, 
Okay, so I've been, you know, in my league for 40 years. In my league, I have like, and there's a 16-team league. I have five or six Hall of Fame practicing coaches. They're in the Iowa Girls High School Basketball Hall of Fame. Okay, but they're still coaching. They have established programs. They're very successful. So it's very hard to out-coach these people. But the 21, a lot of people don't see it. And so I've taken that knowledge and kind of morphed it and adapted it to high school girls and our personnel and how we use it. And it's really become kind of a devastating defense. And uh, we just we just have, a, you know, a, a great time running it. And as I said, the, the players really like it and uh, we've been successful with it. But, I mean, we do other things as well. And we'll play man-to-man defense if we have to against, you know, some teams that have a lot of really good shooters because, quite honestly – and people ask me, you know, how do you beat the 21 all the time? And I don't really tell them, but basically you have to have the tools, which are at least three good three-point shooters. You have to be able to reverse the ball and, you know, a few things like this and place those shooters in positions on the reverse. And that's what hurts the 21 there. So, you know, at some time we'll have to get together and really sit down and go over our notes with each other. I would. In a, in a 21, is that a half-court trap, 2-3 zone? Because I know you run two three zone one three one. Is that is that a hybrid yeah. of that? Um, actually, what we've done is we've kind of gone away a little bit more from the one three one and the two three, mm-hmm. even though the twenty one looks like an extended two three, and we've morphed it to we even call it a twenty one full, and we can play this twenty one defense in a full court setting where we can match up or we can come out of the eye and roll right into it in the half court. And that is what has devastated teams the most, I'll be honest with you. Because what happens, everybody's ready for a conventional diamond press or 1-3-1 half-court trap, but they're not ready for the way we morph. You know, we put pressure in the backcourt, and teams are ready to handle that. But then as the, team, as the ball comes across the half-court in the 21-full, that's when now all of a sudden they're out of position and we start putting those traps on people, and then we get the easy steals for layups. Yeah, and I, I really, I, and I know, I know we, um, I, I definitely want to hear a little bit more on this and so forth. I want to share what we do, and maybe you can coach me up yeah. a little bit. It sounds very similar to what we do. Um, we start out, now we have different 2 2 1 looks. And the reason why we go zone, and maybe it's similar to you, we play schools that are more athletic than us. Um, but we have good players. We have good fundamental players. Um, but we can't – I'm not – I don't want to worry about matchups. I want to kind of make you play against our defense. That's number one. Yeah. That's our philosophy. But we go 2-2-1, two, two, and then if they cross half court, we're in a high 2-1-2. Two, two. So it, the press never ends. It continues. Mm-hmm. And then we're trying to wall you. We're trying to play the passing lanes. We're trapping if there's opportunities. Um, so that's kind of our that's that's kind of our extended defense. It's all one look. Yeah, I, I uh, I'm kind of envisioning it, and I, I'm just trying to you know look at it in my mind. So two two one, and it morphs to a two one two. Yes. So is your back some come up into the middle then? Yes, I have my five. The key to the defense is our five, and I have a big six foot girl, and she's still learning the defense, but. Um, but my five, basically, my five blocks really all penetration to the middle. 
anything mm-hmm. to the middle. She's between the basket and the ball. Uh, but all my guards, but I got to have the only disadvantage I have, I have small little guards up top. And what they're doing is they're playing the passing lanes up top. And then I have quick, my best athletes are in the forward spots because they can get steals and so forth. So basically we're trying to force you to make long lob passes, almost like our one, three, one zone. But um, we, we find it so effective coach, man, teams struggle against it. Yeah. I mean, the way we're playing and the way you're playing it, it takes, they cannot run offense against you. You know, you have certain teams that are so well coached and they're like machines running their offense, you know, and people can't run an offense against you sure. when you play these types of defenses. So it totally takes them out of the game. So now they better have good passers, good dribblers, and especially good shooters, as I said, because, you know, if their teams are really smart, they make sure and they have three shooters on the perimeter that are in line, like one, two, three, and they usually will, if I'm giving you the tip here, sharing it to nationwide podcast here. <laughs> but what you want to do is you want to start the ball away from your shooters. And then when that first trap comes, now you quickly reverse to your three best shooters. And then that's how you're, you know, the most successful against how, what we do of the 21 defense. But even then, you still have to be able to hit those shots on that night. But you're not running any offense against us, I can tell you that. Yeah, and how many schools – now, we're at a single-A level. There's not a lot – first of all, the, the shooting's down anyway. There's not a lot of good shooters out there. Um, I think our weakness, Coach, is is our – we might – you know, if you're not hustling into your spots and rotating, you might get, you know, give up a defensive board or an inside post pass. But still, it forces girls to make long passes, which I think is very difficult. Oh, yeah, very difficult. And I got this line from Brad Smith. So this is this – and I got it in the 1980s. <laughs> yeah. It's, he says it's like, you know, baseball, if you're trying to throw out a runner, the more throws that you have to make to throw out a runner, the more chance for error. Sure. Well, the same thing here in basketball. The more times we make you pass, especially over somebody, to get a shot – the more chance for air. And because we're so aggressive, these are causing what we call bad turnovers that lead to layups for us. We score so much off of our defense. It's, you know, unbelievable. And this year for the, uh, we were, and this year for the first time in my career, and I'm sure you may be um, familiar with, you know, OER and DER, offensive efficiency rate. Sure. For the first time in 43 years, we finished the season exactly at 1.000 on offensive efficiency rate. In high school, that's, that's very rare. That's great. But yeah. the only reason we did it was because the defense right. forced so many errors, steals that led to easy baskets and layups. That's what fed our offense. And we're playing against the highest level you know, teams in the state, and – uh, this year, it was kind of, you know, I mean, we had, it's really a strong year in our state. You know, we had that Caitlin Clark. She's a top five type player in the country. And, but in our conference alone, uh, we had two divisions. So we have eight teams on each, eight, eight teams in each division. In our eight team division, our entire first team of seven player, eight players were all division one seniors. And we had to put, 
Division One players, signees on the second team. That's how deep we were, which was kind of <laughs> rare for us. So, right, sure. But, yeah, you know, it's good coaching and it's good basketball. So we've got to be good to compete or we have no chance. Yes. And, and um, are you kind of help us here? Because one, one of my, my main questions is building a defense from the ground up. And, I, and do you build it based on your personnel or do you build it based on your knowledge of, of what you know as a coach? I know it's a weird question, but I think every no. coach needs to know. No, that's it's a great question, and I'm going to kind of address it both offensively and defensively here to okay. you because it's a great question that you ask. And over the years, you know, you figure at the high school level you can't recruit kids, which you can't, you know, theoretically, and you have to be able to adjust what you do to the personnel that you have, okay? Well, what I've done is I've kind of been eclectic here or hybrided that thinking both offensively and defensively. Now, stay with me here. You know, I don't want to get too deep. But what <laughs> I, I'll give you an example. We always run a numbered fast break. We always run it. We've run it since we went five on five. See, actually, I'm so old that I coached six on six in the <laughs> 70s. Gotcha. You know, sure. And then we changed, we changed to five on five in 1985, actually. But what I've done is how we finish that number fast break will change according to the personnel that we have. And what I mean by that is, hey, you know, if we want our first option to be, because we've got a really good post player, then we'll finish that break this way to get the ball into the post. Or if we have a really good wing perimeter player will finish the fast break this way to get them a shot. Or if we have a really good point guard, we'll finish it this way so she can get a shot or a drive right away. So we've stayed the same and we've done this for years and decades now run this fat numbered fast break. Well, we kind of do the same thing defensively. We start out teaching the bare fundamentals, you know, we talk about stance. We talk about advanced step, retreat step, swing step. We talk about the closeouts. We talk, you know, I mean, and we do all those drills the first week, uh, first week or two. But at the same time, we've been doing it for years because what I, what my middle school or elementary school, middle school camp does is those same drills. And we try to indoctrinate those student athletes so as they come along every year and they keep coming to camp, they just kind of get better and better and better. And we're laying the groundwork for it. And then what we do is, hey, you know, this is going to be our base defense, like the 21. I've run the 21 with non-athletic players, which is very hard to do. But what we've done is we've shortened, we've shortened the court. We've only run the 21. Like, I'm going to give you a tip here on this 21 defense that might help you, and maybe you do it already. The other thing that smart coaches do to attack the 21 is they try to spread you out. Right. So in other words, as they come across the court, they're going to start with a pass, like almost to the corner in the half court high. So if you go and try to trap that, your slides are a lot longer. So we have a credo. We do not do high traps. What we do is if that ball goes too high, the back person doesn't come up and trap it. What they do is the top person 
just tries to pin that person to the baseline or drive them into the trap. Sure. Are you kind of following what I'm saying? Yeah. And so sure. then that, that allows, now you don't have to be as athletic because you're not covering as much space, but you're still running the basic 21 defense. So those are the types of adjustments that we make. We start fundamentally with everything and build from there. And then, you know, we make adjustments as we go. And, you know, if, we, if we're playing teams that have absolute just, you know, All-American, and I've coached against a lot of All-Americans, and I've had All-Americans myself. Well, you know what? We're going to take you out of the game with a diamond and one defense. We play the diamond and one probably better than about anybody in the country. That's what coaches have told me. You know, we're just really great at, you know, running this diamond and one. And so we got a perimeter player. We set the state tournament record back in the 90s doing this. We played a diamond and one full because their top player was like a point guard perimeter player. We hounded her all the way. And then she she accounted for like 60% of their team scoring. Well, once we stopped her, the rest of them couldn't hit the shots. Right. And sure. we ended up setting the state tournament record, holding the team to 17% field goal shooting <laughs> in a game there because she couldn't get any shots. And the others had to shoot. They weren't ready and they weren't good enough to do it. So, you know, you make those adjustments too. Yeah. I love how you, you adapt, uh, I guess, yeah. is my best word for you. And I love that. And I, I really agree with that philosophy. I think it sounds like to me, and tell me if I'm, I'm, I'm right or wrong, Coach, you have a base system, but then you adapt based on your personnel and you kind of put people in the right spots to make them better. Totally. That's, you know, and, and that's counter to what most people would say is they'd say, oh, you have to totally change your offense at the high school level because now you've got like five perimeter players. Well, we've had five perimeter players, but we still run that numbered fast break. And then, you know, we've got a post type of offense and we've got a perimeter type of offense. I mean, I'll tell you kind of a funny story here. And you may or may not believe this, but <laughs> I've been running that West Coast offense since the 80s, you know, and it's come to fruition and, you know, uh, everybody's running West Coast or dribble drive stuff. Yeah. We've been doing the dribble drive since the 80s. I could send you videos of how we set up our players for dribble drive. And it came from our open gyms. We, all we did was play against boys that were bigger, stronger, faster, jumped higher than us. Right. You know, back then I might get in there and play with four girls against five of our boys and there's no way we should beat them. But we always beat them because we were really good at, you know, penetrating and pitching and our, my players could really shoot. They could shoot like a son of a gun. So it negated <laughs> their, you know, their athleticism and, you know, just doing stuff like that. But you hit it on the head. We adapt our base system, which is part of our culture and change it or, you know, morph it a little bit every year to our personnel. So, like I said, it's kind of a hybrid or electric, eclectic of what we were talking about there, which is different than a lot of people, but it's been successful for us. Yeah, I'm definitely going to ask for a – Tony, you got a lot of uh, videos. You're going to have to add now the 21 defense to your videos, and you're <laughs> going to have to do your dribble drive because we run, we run all of that – so I definitely want to get some 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 video some more videos from you. Add to my Coach Pappas video collection here. Um, but well, we'll send you we'll send you something on Huddle, and you can look at one of them there. How does that sound? Oh, that sounds Actually, great. <laughs> I haven't. I this is one thing I've been asked a lot about. You know, and I've 
and believe me, Russ Davis was tremendous. And I think it's that Mike Devilis or whatever. Yeah, Devilis. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, he runs it. What what does he call? He calls it a different name. Calls it the buzz. The buzz. The buzz. Yeah, yeah. the buzz. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And then there's a, I think a college gal down in Texas. They put out DVDs. I've looked at them all, and I've really morphed it and changed it to really, you know, help us be even more successful at the high school girls level. So. You know, that's that's what's been good for for me. But so many people have asked me about it. And it's like, uh, you know, uh, if I tell you that I have to kill you type of deal, you know, but uh, (laughs) but with you, with you, I'll send you. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I've been working hard to build an online basketball school to help players and coaches. I'd love for you to check it out at puresweatbasketball.com. Hello, my name is Rory Hamilton. I'm the head girls basketball coach at Norman North High School in Norman, Oklahoma. If you're looking for top-notch basketball coaching instruction and help, look no further than the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. You can listen about our five keys to success at Norman North Girls Basketball, along with many other podcasts at championshipvision.org or listen on Spotify at Championship Vision. Happy hooping. A video and then you know we can get on the phone and talk about you right. know some things there that you see but yeah it's fun you know it's funny but hey you know it keeps you young as a coach people always are telling me well you haven't aged at all you know I said well let's see I'm working 80 to 100 hours a week I'm the oldest AD in the state of Iowa at the 5A level and I'm the only one that coaches a major sport so yeah I better stay young or otherwise I have no chance in hell of being successful. Yeah, I, I mean, I tell you, I, um, I, I wish I'm coaching at 66. I'm probably, I'm probably going to have to coach till I'm 80, coach. So, I mean, uh, you, you'll probably be the same. They're going to have to drag you off, coach. Well, that's what they say. At least I still have a little energy there. Somebody, somebody joked with me, you know, and I, and I use this line. I have a lot of good lines here for you to make you laugh. Uh, they said, oh, boy, you know, you've had to cut back now with, you know, the COVID-19. And I said, you know, you're right. I, I've gone, I've, I've become a half-time employee. I only work 12 hours a day now, so. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> I know, I, I'm watching more video and, and working on my, my stuff more than ever now. I totally agree. Coach, yeah. I re- really want to talk about where I really, uh, I love your post-development and your perimeter play. I, I still use the skills and drills from those videos. And I have them in VHS, which says how old I am. Um, But I love those videos and your shooting video, all those, man, tell us about the skill development and you can't tell us about all of it, but man, I recommend for all the coaches to get those videos. Yeah, I've been, I've been really blessed. Uh, And it, you know, it was, it was a long journey. Like you said, VHS, I did my first instructional videos in the 1980s, okay? So we're going on 2020 to 2021 here, believe it or not. So it's almost 40 years. I produced them myself. I did the graphic. This was in the 80s, believe wow. it or not. And then I ran into, a, I went to a clinic and somebody told the Cisco's owner at that time, mm-hmm. you know, hey, you should sell in Tony's video. So then what happened is, 
uh, I ended up having to buy, you know, dual DVDs and I was reproducing them myself, packaging them. And there was such great demand, I couldn't do it anymore. So then I had to, you know, sell the product or the, or the you know, the royalty to, and collect royalties on the product there to Cisco's. And then all of a sudden they said, well, you got to do these other videos. So then I started making videos. I think I have like seven of them out there or something. Yeah. But the, the skill ones were the ones that people just really loved and, and purchased. And what they were, I'll be honest with you, that was all that knowledge of going out in the summers and picking everybody's brains of how to do things. The shooting video, there's a shooting booklet that goes with it and a checklist. And it would have like, oh, 60 points that we're looking for when you shoot the basketball. And now, you know, I put them on a video, but now I give those videos, believe it or not, because you asked about this, I could communicate those videos to my middle school players right now, but not my high school players, according to state rules. So they'll have a copy of, of that shooting video and they can work on it. And then you put in the drills and the breakdown. And so... Then the other thing was, then we did the same thing with the, the perimeter stuff, uh, you know, power pickup and how you pass the ball, post-entry passing series and sure. all these types of things. But the one that really took off was the post one. Yeah, post was great. From 1985 to 1999, every player that played the five spot for me and that was like eight different ones, by the way. Every player that played the five spot for me signed early with the Division I college. <laughs> so it was like, it was like, hey, and most of them were only around six foot tall. But it was like, hey, I, you, you're playing the five spot? Oh, you're getting a Division I scholarship at Waterloo West High School. So people thought it was like a factory. And they said, oh, you got to do a video because you, you must be doing something right here. And that's what started that the post-play videos, which were just huge sellers. Now today, everybody's, you know, dribble drive and five out a lot. But believe me, there's still what you can learn from those post videos is of paramount importance. And so I really broke down and I called it the art of offensive low post-play. And boy, you know, we talked about, you know, the three categories, body position, the post, offensive footwork, and then offensive moves and shots. And that's what you probably like. You watch those videos. Then we did the second one with drills, and then we did an advanced one. And, I mean, they were just people. I was at a clinic the other day, or not the other day, but uh, in the, in the uh, late fall. And uh, I was sitting there listening to somebody talk <laughs> about post play. And some guy walked by me. I didn't even know him. He goes, hey, I learned more from your videos than I did from Joe, Joe Blow here, college coach. <laughs> and I oh, just, yeah. I said, oh, thank you. So, but that's the, all that knowledge that I accumulated all those summers, that's what build our base. <clears throat> and, you know, that's what allows us to make our players better too. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, um, I still, I mean, it shows how valuable and it shows how I, you know, I really thank you for, uh, first of all, learning the game and then sharing it with us. But that post-development, to me, I still think, because I have a big six-foot girl coach, and I still use her in the low block. People say, well, you know, bring her out to the short corner. No, no, no. 
I want her in the low block because she's close to the basket and she, you know, we, we're going to work on her footwork and things like that. Why is the low, low post game such a lost art? Well, I think everybody, uh, a lot of these newer coaches don't feel familiar with it because they were brought up with dribble drive and, you know, perimeter play. Everybody wants to be a perimeter player. And then of course the three point shot has evolved where it's become uh, such a big part of, you know, the pro game and then the college game and now even the high school game. But let me tell you, if you've got a good post player, you know, you can win a lot of games and you can buy for that state championship year in and year out because there'll be nights where the shooting just won't be there. Trust me. My best player was National High School Player of the Year. She shot uh, 78% from two-point range right, on sure. the season. And, you know, she was double, triple teamed all the time. So she only got about 11, 12 shots a game. But when she's making, you know, nine or 10 of those 12 shots a game, because that's how hard it was to get her the ball, you know, but she made all her other teammates better. They got a lot of easy shots and layups. And, you know, you throw in a few free throws, then she's averaging, you know, 23 points a game. Uh, But the efficiency was unbelievable, whereas today – a lot of the efficiency, especially the offensive end, just really isn't there like it was at one time. And you alluded to it. Part of it is, you know, the shooting. People think they can shoot, but they really can't. You know, a lot of them throw the ball up there. And, you know, you, you heard my spiel on the video. You know, anybody that goes out and shoots the ball a million times can be a decent shooter. But, you know, our goal is to become great shooters. And to do that, you've got to have the great, you know, those three components of great shooting, you know, technique, repetition, and the mental aspect of shooting the basketball correctly. Well, we'll put them on the road for technique like you can't believe. Then we give them the goal of, you know, making the 20,000 shots in a season, being a fall, winter, spring, or summer. And then we talk about the mental maturity you have to have, mistake management, you know, no conscience. You have to have all three of those components to be a great shooter. And once you have those down, boy, guess what? We'll find a place for you to play, and you'll be an integral part of our offense as well. But it's all about that skill development. And, you know, 43 years of gaining this knowledge, you know, even every day I try to learn something new about skill development. You know, I subscribe to three or four of these different services. So every day I'm getting emails about, this or that, and I look at them, I pass them on, and and I grow as well. So, you know, skill development, that's where it's at if you want to be a great coach. I, I totally agree. And, I, and I'm and i recommending to the listeners who – I have a lot of people, coaches like myself who listen, man, you got to get – you got to get Coach Paps's tape. I mean, um, I mean, they're just great teaching. I mean, you have such great – not only the – you're such a master teacher. I consider that. I'm not just telling you that because you're on the podcast, but uh, I learned so much key concepts. And I think that's a big part of being a teacher, right? Is how to teach, how to have key phrases in your language. Yeah. Now you bring up a a great point that I'm going to share with you here about, yeah, being a master teacher, everything is trigger words, key phrases, short stories, analogies, et cetera that allows you to teach and allows them to learn at a faster rate and master at a faster rate. And that's what the goal is all about. And I I teach this in my coaching clinics here. Here, Here's an example. 
how we try to teach with trigger words that are two syllables or less. And I'll tell you a great story, a great story. This was like uh, I was in uh, Williamsburg, Virginia in July 1988, coaching where there's an all-star team tournament. I was coaching the Midwest team. And we were playing for the championship. And it went down to the wire, and I'm on the bench. And, you know, you have a two-guard front, and it's a guard-to-guard pass. Well, the guard passes the other guard, and I'm sitting on the bench, and you can just see the defender's going to shoot the gap. It's a key point. You know, it's right at the end of the game. We're holding for a last-second shot. He's going to shoot the gap and tip the ball and go in for a layup. And so I start yelling, hey, you've got to step. You know, I couldn't even get that out. You know, you got to step to the ball. They steal the ball, go in and win the championship. Yeah. Well, I had a girl from Kentucky on the bench sitting next to me. Now, this is how you learn. And she says, Coach, you should have just said, meet it, meet it. And I said, <laughs> sure. so then I went back. And so now we start teaching our players these trigger words. And we say, hey, instead of, you know, me saying, hey, you've got to step to the ball. When I say meet it, that's what it means. And so we get it out and we communicate. And so we, you know, we fine tune our communication. So then we carry that further. If we're yelling wolf, then, you know, people are coming up from behind you. And these kids grasp these concepts. Or as a post player, and you'll see it on the DVD or in my clinics, if we want, you know, if we want that ball reversed from the corner of the wing to the top, so now the point guard enters it down, we just say top down. That's a top down entry. Or we want the ball taken from the top to the side and then entered in. That's a side-in entry. And so all these are like two-syllable, you know, two-syllable communications that allow our players to grasp these concepts even faster. And same thing with short stories and analogies, trigger words, key phrases. You know, I got a ton of them here. That's what allow you to be a master teacher. And then that's how you bring your student-athletes the furthest, the fastest. You know, we have great drills that do that, but that comes from experience there. So, yeah, boy, you get me talking and I go on a rant here. So I'm gonna, I love that. I, I want you to slow share. down a little bit. <laughs> this is great stuff, coach. And I, because uh, I, I really believe in that myself. I think if more coaches would develop their teaching skills and try to become a master teacher rather than trying to find the next great offense or defense, I think the game would improve. Oh, yeah, Kevin, you know, you hit it on. I've, I've lived the changes. You see, back in Iowa, you know, we had, we've had, we had six on six for whatever it was, 60-some years, maybe 70, actually, because there were still some schools that kept it after, I, after we got out of it. But back then, what made Iowa so special, it was the skill development of its players for girls basketball, I'm talking and back then, I think uh, Bob Spencer started the first girls basketball camp, maybe in the 50s or the 60s at William Penn College. And back then, it was five days a week, morning, noon, and night, <laughs> all working on skills, yeah. shooting, you know, uh, five days a week. Now you can't get a kid for five days if you paid them a million dollars to sure. show up because they got something else to do. So it was five days a week. Then that morphed to, and it was all teaching, by the way. And that's what I've tried to, like, if you come to my camps for middle schoolers, we're not scrimmaging or playing games. We are building up. We still go 
five days a week with middle schoolers, but just nine to 12 in the morning. And, and people will come and they'll look at, you know, hey, you know, here's like a fifth grade girl, you know, going into sixth grade or whatever. And, you know, we're working them hard for three hours, taking a five minute drink break, and we're demanding that they're on task. Right. Now, you know, they're like 10 years old and we're working the heck out of them. But, you know, we're so regimented and we're so well organized and we've got it down to a science that these kids are improving. Well, what has happened over the years was it went from five days to four days, then to three days, then it's down to two days of instructional camps. And then kids don't want that. And so now instructional basketball camps have kind of gone by the wayside. I mean, sure, you have a few elite camps here and there and some teaching. Now it's all about all you do is play and you play in tournaments, you play for exposure. And so it is, you know, the landscape has changed completely. And I, I don't really like it. But, you know, I do the best I can to continue to teach and, and you know, allow people to get better. But, yeah, you're right. Uh, skill development is just not there. And it starts with shooting and everything else. But, you know, it is what it is. And you try to adapt and be flexible but unflappable. So, but you hit it on the head. Yeah, you, yeah I love that. And I totally agree with that. I, I still think there's a need for, even though, we are headed towards the club and the AU and the game games uh, more than the practices. I still think there's a need and particularly now, right coach, there's no games oh, going on right now. I, I'm, I'm really curious to find out from my player. I can tell right now, right now, which kid, when I, we get back to playing eventually, hopefully uh, which kid put in the time, you're going to see some, you're going to see some kids who really didn't put any time in or some of the kids that have, because just the individual work you have to put in on your own discipline. Oh, yeah. Here's two things you're going to see, and we've talked about it with our players already. One, have they put on the COVID-19? They put on 19 pounds by doing nothing, you know. (laughs) That's a little joke there, but uh, that's the first thing you're going to see because they haven't been doing anything. The second thing you're going to see is have they improved their shooting because they can work on shooting and ball handling by themselves. Right. Those are the two things. And, you know, we put the challenge out, and I alluded to it, so I'll share part of my shooting lecture here. Hey, the challenge and the goal is you have to go out and you have to make 20,000 shots in a season, a season being a fall, spring, summer, you know, or whatever, three-month period of time. Well, that breaks down to 250 to 300 makes a day every day with no days off for birthdays, holidays, sick days, vacation. You know, you know, it's every day going out there and making, you know, 250, 300 shots, which is going to take you about an hour because if you're really doing it right and you're working at it, you know, you're going to have to shoot five to 600 shots to get those 300 makes. Right. And so, you know, that's a little time consuming. Well, that's all that the true basketball players can do really right now for the most part, you know, where everything's closed down, you're not playing games. You know, you give them the challenge. Hey, you got to go out there and make your 300 today. You can chart it. Well, what we find is after you get around 19, 20, over 20,000 makes in that short period of time, if your form is good, and that's one thing that we've really spent a lot of time with all of our players prior to this break here, obviously, then you know what? You're on the road to being a really good shooter. You know, I had uh, Molly Goodenbauer played for me in the 80s. 
And she actually just did a webinar for our players here the other day. She's the head coach at the University of San Francisco. Well, when she came to me and uh, as a 13-year-old, and by the way, she was so smart, she skipped a grade. Then she went to Stanford, was MVP of the Final Four, played the <laughs> ABL, WNBA, the whole bit. She was making like 43 out of 100 free throws. And I looked at her and I said, do you want to really be a player? She said, yes, sir, I do. I said, you really want to be a player? Because people give you the lip service to that. But I looked in her eyes. She said, yes, sir, I do. I said, okay, we're going to break down your shot, which we did. We're going to correct the flaws, which we did. And you're going to work at it really hard, which she did. And she had the mental aspect of it. So as a 13-year-old, she was making 43 out of 100 free throws. This is no joke because I, I rebounded for her. Two years later, as a 15- or 16-year-old player, she's leaving the gym making 99 out of 100, <laughs> which nobody has ever done, you know, at the high school level. And my, in my gym, with whether it be boys or girls, very seldom do I find somebody making 99 out of 100. Now, I've had other players that might make 93, 94, 95 out of 100. And I'm just talking about in practice situations, not in game situations, but not 99 out of 100. So then she goes to Stanford and sets the NCAA record for most threes in a single game in the NCAA tournament, most threes in the NCAA uh, series there, you know, championships. None those records may have been broken since then because that was almost 30 years ago now. But, uh, you know, there's the skill development. That's what we're talking about. And that's what you're going to see with your players. Can they shoot better? Have they improved or have they regressed? You know, and we tell them, you either get better or you get worse. You don't stay the same. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're actually setting them up, you know, for success and so forth with videos. And um, I wish I had your videos to show about that. I, I, I got to make, I got to get your video to them. <laughs> oh, you don't have the shooting one? I do, but you know what? I have all of those on old VHS, um, oh, okay. you know, but I have, I still use all your drills though, but I, I guess I got to spend the money and get the new DVDs, I guess, from you. Just, just, just send me your address. I'll mail you one. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> um, but I, I still, I, I just want to tell you that uh, your skill development, I recommend for all the coaches to get the videos. You got some great stuff, very detailed. My last question, coach, is. How do you run a practice at West? I mean, how, what's your basic premise and your structure to help us coaches out? All right. Well, let me tell you, and, and I, um, and maybe some of the coaches that are listening have heard me speak on this for USA basketball. I've kind of gone around the country, and this is one of the favorite topics for USA basketball. And remind me, Kevin, and I'll send you the handout here. There's like a I don't know, 12-page handout that goes with this <laughs> sure. our lecture. Our lecture. Uh, the practices are, you know, minutely detailed. But the key thing is, I have this great lecture, like I alluded to, I have six assistant coaches that have been with me. One year I had eight assistant coaches. Nice. I have more on the varsity alone. I have more assistant coaches than they have in the NBA, you know. <laughs> And and, and these coaches are just <laughs> tremendous. And they are coaches that I had hired over the years, even in the summers. And so they went through all the teaching, the, you know, finite teaching that we do. So we're all on the same page. But um, actually, let me grab one of those handouts. I had one here anticipating that you might 
ask me this question, <laughs> by the way. Always well, well, well prepared, right, Kitch? <laughs> I try to be well prepared here. But <laughs> the, the first week of practices that we have for girls are the week before our boys start practicing. So we have the gym to ourselves, which is fantastic. So the first week of practices, we, we have the lecture going two hours and 45 minutes. Okay. Now here's what your young coaches can really learn from this. And this comes from experience here. The young and experienced coaches, they're already putting in their offense and they're running their plays and stuff in the first, you know, uh, hour of the season I do not do it so I've got the two hour and 45 minute practice plan right in my hand right now uh, we started 245 and at uh, 456 is the first time we do we teach a team uh, thing we're teaching our team fast break okay man fast break so from 245 to 456 We've not taught one team thing. So you ask me, well, what do you teach? Well, here's what we teach. Uh, we do, you know, our warm-up, our stretching. We have an opening talk. We have uh, six-station drill work that we do where we time and measure every one of our varsity players in six different categories. And then we grade them out. And this allows me to look at their athleticism and their skill levels. And, uh, you know, and – I can go over that with you, you know, at another time. Sure. And then we start teaching defensive stance. Then we do one-on-one -on -one turning. Then we do breakdown in the defensive station work where one station might be jump to the pass, handling screens, cutting the, uh, uh, cutting the drive, uh, post closeouts. Then we uh, talk on, uh, you know, post defense there. Uh, then we do something that's really rare. And unless you're one of my coaches, or bought the DVD, uh, you would never know this technique. We teach and demonstrate how to jump correctly. Girls have a really hard time of jumping correctly. And, the, and we use a step jump technique, which allows them to actually rebound the ball better and how we go through that. And then we talk about we break down all of our passing series. We break down all of our dribble series. We break down shot fakes. Then we finally have a little time to do uh, some three-point shooting and shooting, then some more cut-the-drive drills and, uh, you know, combination drills. Then at 4.56, we teach one team thing, our girl break or man-to-man -man break, how we're going to finish it. Then we finish with some conditioning, shoot some free throws. So there's almost three hours of practice, and you're teaching one team thing. Now, that's day one, by the way. Day two – we review all these things, and I have them on checklist, by the way. And then we teach, we review the team thing from the day before and teach the new team thing for that day. Because on day six of week one, we're going into our first scrimmages already. Sure. Now, we're not ready for these scrimmages against other teams, but we're starting to implement these things that we've used. Now, the good thing is, you know, a lot of our players are, are returning players. They've gone through the middle school camps. So they know a lot of these things, but that's what this whole handout is. And then I take them through. Here's an interesting. Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. 
I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado. Concept for you, okay? And you may want to jot this down and remember it. Sure. So on day six, which is Saturday, we get up at seven in the morning, we drive 100 miles, and we scrimmage three other teams in the morning, drive 100 miles back, and then we practice in the afternoon with our perimeters for two hours and with our posts for two hours. <laughs> yeah. It's hard on my coaches. But, you know, I got this concept, two-a-day practices from football coaches. Sure. Well, why can't, why can't we do it in basketball? Well, we can. And so that's what we do. So, I mean, it makes for a long day. But, uh, hey, you know what? We, we reap the benefits of this. And, and this is all in this handout that I'll send you here. You'll like it. I, I would and, love uh, that. Coach, on your two-a-days, is that just one weekend, or how long do you do that? No, uh, we usually do it about two weekends. Okay. Yeah, the, the first two weekends. And then we'll do it again when we come back from Christmas vacation. Okay. So the, the reason we can't continue to do it is we end up by the third – by the third uh, Saturday, we're into our first set of games. Right. Sure. Sure. So, so, and so what we do is we more or less practice six days a week. And the seventh day Sunday is optional. If you want to come in and get more shots, I'll be there. And then sometimes my coaches rotate through, but I'm always there for the most part. But then we change practices after the first week. You know, you've asked me a really good question and I was kind of prepared here for you. Sure. Uh, then when the boys start, then we only get 90 minutes on the floor because we have to schedule in six teams through two gyms and, you know, after school. So we have to be really finite in what we teach. We get 90 minutes on that floor. But what we do is let's say we have the second time slot. The boys would go right after school from 245 to 415. We'd go 415 to 545. We come together as a team at 3.15, 3.30, and we have our team meeting, and we will go over exactly what we're going to do in practice that day, diagram it on the board. Another thing that you would know if you were around, and maybe I've alluded to it in some of those videos, every one of our players has their own notebook, team notebook. They have to bring it to every practice. And so there's six sections. I mean, it's a big notebook if you see it. And if they lose it, they pay dearly for it with their lives. But uh, <laughs> they sure. they bring that notebook to every practice. They'll take it to games. And in there is just a whole section on basketball notes. And to increase here's being a master teacher again, if you want to learn little tips, cognitive learning. Instead of me just handing them, uh, you know, a copy of what we're doing, I make them write it down so cognitively they're learning and writing and learning it better than just handing out a piece of paper well, so, in the early going. Yeah, so let me ask you about that. That's a really important point because I've done it differently over the years. I've actually uh, done more like done more the last couple years on exactly give them a blank sheet. They have to fill it out, uh, right. which I think, and uh, it sounds like you're the same way. You think that the learning process is better, that they can, they can. Correct. Okay. And, 
And we've learned that with dealing with special ed students, not that they're on my team or anything, but in the classroom. <laughs> sure. You know, you just hand them a piece of paper. But if you make them write it and think about it, cognitively, they gain more from it. So we use that same concept. Okay. Players. That's, that's great. Now, at the, end of, at the end of the season, when we really go into detailed scouting reports, because tournament time is most important, then I'll have the eight pages typed up for them. But by that time, we're trying to utilize cut down on the amount of time that we have. Sure. So we'll be in a meeting for 45 minutes before practice or after practice, just, you know, getting ready to get better there. And then once we hit the floor for 90 minutes, I mean, we hit it hard. And honestly, I think that's one of the things that's wrong with coaching at the college level. You know, you didn't ask me this question, but I'm going to throw it out there to people. You know, I go to these college practices and they're like three freaking hours long. And they're wearing the kids down and then there's more injuries. And, you know, boy, let me tell you, we have a goal. Here's another thing you can write down if you want. Sure. I, I, I've done these at coaching clinics and one of the coaches came up to me like six months later and said, I really like that concept of a hundred days. And you know what a hundred days means? That means that if when we start on November 4th or 5th or whatever it is, and then we finish on March 7th, we'll have spent 100 days together if we're playing for a state championship. Mm -hmm, sure. So our goal is 100 days. Love it. And we want to get the most out of those 100 days that we can, you know, uh, using every minute. Here's another uh, concept. And this is, this is one of the great things in this handout that I'm going to send you. And that is, hey, time-space utilization theory. And this is what we put behind all of our practices. We demand... I demand of myself and my coaches that we use all our time, all our space, all of our equipment, all of our coaches, all of our managers. We'll even use our athletic trainers sometime. <laughs> so when we come out, you know, getting ready for practice, you'd be shocked because we're so finite in our teaching and what we do. Every kid has their own weighted vest. I got that from Brad Smith in the 80s. Every kid has a set of gloves because all of our passing and dribbling drills are done with like Michael Jackson satin gloves. Now, why do you think that is Kevin? Really? Uh, you know, to be honest with you, more try to develop more uh, fingertip control, try to, yeah. I mean, you know, instead of using it is to, yeah. Yeah. You know how hard it is to catch a heavy ball. By the way, we have a heavy ball for every pair of kids with, with shiny satin gloves. You know how hard that is? Yeah, it's very hard, yeah. <laughs> You've got to really concentrate. And so you got to have your hands up, fingers spread as wide as possible, palms the passer, thumbs inside. You yeah. know, hey, we're just talking about catching the ball. So there's there's my phraseology for just teaching how to catch the ball. Eyes, watch the ball into your hands. You don't do that. And we do those drills every freaking day. So every kid has those satin gloves. Every kid has a weighted vest. Every kid has got, we start with heavy balls. Then we go to big balls. Then we go to boys basketballs. Then we go to girls basketballs. Right. So we progress on the teaching of passing and ball handling. And then every kid has dribble goggles on them as well. Every day in practice. And so we bring out all these teaching tools. It's like you're bringing a, a semi uh, of equipment out for 12 kids, you know. And you got eight coaches and trainers and managers 
And I mean, people come to our practices and they're like, wow, you know, that's really something. I mean, college coaches will come and they'll say, hey, you know, how come I see your kids doing the same thing all the time? Why is that? And I said, because we teach it that way. <laughs> and one thing they one thing they they look at or marvel at is, hey, our pivot foot is always the foot that's closest to the defensive player so we can rip through, so we can attack the defender. Don't let the defender attack you. You know, that's all part of this teaching. Boy, you get me going, you get me ranting here, and I know we're going way over your time I, limit. No, but. no, no, no. I mean, it's your, <laughs> hey, hey, I want you, hey, when I get great coaches on, I, I definitely want you guys to share. We use heavy balls. We don't use the satin gloves. I think that's, to me, and we don't use the weighted vest, maybe because we can't afford it, maybe, but that's something that, I get your booster club to pay for it or buy them in, uh, you know, uh, you know, in a progression of four, four a year and three years, you've got enough for everybody, you know? Yeah. I love that. Uh, who do you guys, you guys use uh certain, you guys get a good discount from anybody in particular. I guess we can talk about that later, but um, yeah. I love the satin gloves idea though. I'm definitely, that's one thing I'm definitely going to look into. I love oh, that. Yeah. You know, you know how hard it is to really do ball handling with satin gloves, dribble goggles, and a big basketball <laughs> inside out behind the back. Right. You know, and it's just, it's that concept. It all goes back to the practice concept. Everything we do in practice, we make tougher than what they're going to face in a game. So as we progress through by the end of the season, then we go back and we're just using regular balls without the dribble goggles at the end to give them the confidence to do it. But I mean, I'm talking about every day of those, 100 days, and that includes games days. But, I mean, it's it's all about making your, your players better. Just all those things. You just – and people always wonder, you know, how you can take these kids that really might not be very good or very athletic yeah. and compete with the best players in the state. Well, you know, people, it's like, oh, you're so lucky. You know, uh, Kevin, you make your luck in a lot of, a lot of areas there. And let me tell you. Uh, sometime I'm going to have to get down to Georgia and, and visit you. And I want to, and I learned from you too. Trust me. That's, that's how I've learned all these things. <laughs> when I, when I'm doing clinics, you know, I'll say to people, you know, I'll say, Hey, Kevin, you know, what do you do in practice? How's your practice different than mine? Give me a tip. And we do like, uh, you know, table talk or share in these coaching clinics, or then I have you write an exit ticket to me. You know, I'm being an educator here. Yeah. Give me an exit ticket. Like, and here's my exit ticket to you even before we finish here. So what's one thing you've learned today from my talk, Kevin? Um, well, I tell you. That you never knew. Well, I tell you right now, um, I love I, I love what you're just saying. I, I guess I'm, I'm more recent biased because uh, my memory is going. But I, I love the practice. I'm a practice coach. So uh, I've taken out. I love the two-a-day practice theory. I love that because I think you develop right there kind of a sense of you can put a lot of stuff in there and you, and you really kind of find out what your toughest players are. Um, yeah. And I love that. And I love the cognitive learning. I love having kids write in their ideas. So, and you can also test them and kind of see, you know, what they're actually learning. Uh, oh, you better believe it. And I love all the teaching tools. Uh, we use heavy balls. But I love – I'm definitely going to look into adding those, particularly the, the gloves and so forth. So I absolutely love that. So we're definitely going to look into Gloves that. are cheap. You can buy those for under $5 a piece, $2, $3 a piece. Gloves are cheap. You'll wear them out. We use them so much. 
you can go to Walmart or Kmart and find those, you know, no problem. Yeah. So you just go, okay. I, I say, so you don't order them from like a KBA or anything. You just kind of go, no, yeah. you know, uh, although I, I did testimonials because of course I've done all these things. So they come to me. Yeah. We have weighted gloves, but our kids don't like the weighted gloves as much. We like the challenge of having the smooth gloves. I mean, you could even go out and buy gardening type gloves okay. for a dollar or two a piece and they're still slick enough and you can go through them. But that's what we use. It's just the concept of, hey, we got to get these gloves on your hands. That's going to make you concentrate even more of handling the ball, of catching the ball. You know, it's just going to raise your level in a, in a really rapid pace. I mean, you'll be amazed. You know, Brad Smith, he brought me out there to Oregon City for – 25 to 30 years, two times a year, I did clinics with his kids. And they were really struggling to win that first state championship when I first started with them. And I said, Brad, I said, you know what? Your kids don't pass the ball strongly enough. Well, what do you mean? And so I said, I showed him drills that we do uh, with the heavy ball, long toss baseball. We do long toss with our heavy ball. Then we progress long toss with the big ball. Then we progress long toss with the uh, boys basketball. Then we finish up long toss with the girls ball. And you can do all these segments in four to eight minutes once you know what you're doing and are organized and you can do them every day and you get better. And I said, look, you know, the team, I learned this in 1995, our state championship team, that their uh, state championship team beat us. And they passed the ball better, more strongly than college teams. But that's how they annihilated us. You know, college coaches will have me come in and they'll say, hey, you know, give us a press breaker. I, and I've done this on different, to different college uh, coaching staff. Give us a press breaker because we have trouble with the press. I said, hey, you know what? It starts first with your kid's ability to pass the ball strongly. Oh, what are you talking about? And so I show them and then I'll get with their weight coaches and we develop like these sand bells where you have like an overhead uh, pass and you throw them against the wall to develop. Then you bring in the heavy balls and all this stuff. I mean, man, Kevin, you get me going here. I, I, I go for hours. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Hey, that's, Hey, that's the, that's the difference, right? Between good and great, right? That, that oh. separator is what you're telling me. It's like, you got to do extra, particularly on the girl's side, Let's be oh honest. yeah. Most of us don't have great players, right? I mean, so what you got to develop? Yeah, develop them. So I, I mean, I I love it, and uh, that's why I got you on, Coach Man. I I want you to really share, and you're doing a great job of that. I really appreciate that. Um, hey, here's a good line for you to use with your players, and to give them confidence in you as a coach. You know, hey, we can't put in what God left out, but we can certainly improve on what God gave you, sure. and we can develop you to the max. And that's our goal. And are you with me on that? Yeah, we are. Well, then this is what we're going to do. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to send you my address, Coach, because I, I definitely wanted you to share. I, I always take Coach Pappas's uh, materials, man. I appreciate it. And uh, I really want to get you on. I do a lot of Zoom casts with coaches. Oh, okay. I want to get you on. I tell you, you and Brad Smith together will be unbelievable. <laughs> And you guys just share, share, share. Ho hopefully, hopefully you can do that with us. <laughs> uh, Brad's a great guy. We've been best friends. I'm going to tell you a funny story about Brad here and me. Okay. Okay. If you got another two minutes here. So I told you 
they brought me into Oregon City all these years, you know, uh, to uh, do clinics and stuff. So we've become just great, great friends over these years. Well, I flew into Portland, Oregon, you know, to go to Oregon City. And Brad and his wife picked me up. And, you know, we've been coaching for a long time and we've had a lot of success. And, and so Brad and I are talking and he goes, Tony, he says, hey, I got, a, I got a great player. And it was Lindsey Yamasaki. And uh, this was quite a while ago. And he goes, I, I think she's going to be the national player of the year. And I said, oh, really, Brad? Yeah. And I go, well, you know, I got a great player, too. Nina Smith, and I think she's going to be the national player of the year. They were one year apart, by the way. And his wife, like, look at us. She goes, you two guys are like crazy or something like this, you know. <laughs> Listen to you guys, you know, national player of the year. Well, guess what? Both of them ended up being the national player of the year. Nice. <laughs> but, but the wife was like, but that wasn't by accident. It was us being coaches that knew what we were doing to develop them, give them opportunities to be successful, motivate them to be, and then back channeling. Yeah, guess what? We've done, we work so hard that we had developed relationships with the people that, you know, make those decisions and those choices. And we do them personally and they respected us as people and coaches. And, you know, that helped our players get those awards. And that's what coaching is all about there. So, Yeah. Yeah, Brad's a great guy. I love him to death. Yeah, you're definitely about getting the most out of kids on that. And I, I think that's the ultimate separator, Coach. And what final advice would you give to a coach just starting out? Now, of course, the coaches that are just starting out, hopefully they're listening to this podcast. But don't you agree that, and this is my belief, you got to have a vision, you got to have a plan, and you got to outwork other people and their coaches. Um what what is some advice that you would give to coaches out there who are okay. just starting um, this June? You still there? Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Because I do a lot of coaching clinics, can you still hear me? I can. Yes, sir. Okay. And, and you know, I'm in a school district that is a typical Iowa high school district. And, you know, in this day and age, especially for girls basketball has become most more socioeconomic for success. In other words, you got to have your own personal trainers. You got to be on expensive club teams, travel teams, this and that. And people have asked me, you know, we don't, you know, we're urban based and we have a high minority population and low socioeconomic, et cetera, et cetera. And people have asked me, you know, how come you can continue to be successful? And I said, you know, I'm going to put it to you simply. Here's three things. One, you outwork them. You outcoach them, and you have to outspend them. And I'm sorry about the third one there. But that's what you have to do as a young coach. But then to do those three things, you have to have a background that you've got to have that thirst for knowledge to learn all about skill development, learn about fundraising, learn about psychology of coaching. And then you've got to be able to have that commitment and drive to implement all that and, and do it on a you know, long-term level. That's what will allow you to be successful. Yeah, that's great advice. And I um and I, I I just think that thirst for knowledge, that's one thing that I got from your podcast is that continual learning all the time, looking for just looking for something to make you better, looking for that that maybe that next teaching nugget. Yeah, I mean and that's an oversimplification, but 
uh, you know, that puts a framework on what you really have to do if you want to be successful. Yeah, and, and there's no doubt about that. And particularly nowadays with so much information out there, um, I think sometimes there's too much. I think we have to find, pick one or two. Yeah, you're right. Can you still hear me? I can't. No, you're right. And be on your podcast today. Hopefully I shared a few things that will help people out in the arena of girls basketball. Especially. You absolutely have on that. And I think you're going to get some more dollars in your pocket, man, because I know a lot of coaches are going to go get your videos, which I highly recommend. Um, and um, Want to just contact me. I sell them to them a little more of a discount than the for the money but i'm in it to help people out like yourself absolutely and i'll have them put championship vision on there and so forth so they say listen to you listen to this podcast uh what's the best way to get a hold of you uh just through my email it's pappas a at waterloo schools.org and uh that's the easiest way to get a hold of me okay great and are you on social media uh or anything like that through um i'm Twitter, but I don't really use it that much. It's more for <laughs> school. It's more for school, actually. You know, being the athletic director, you know, this contest is canceled and that contest sure. is canceled, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, my uh, email address I check the most is Papasay at Waterloo Schools because I'm just constantly on the computer there, especially in this day and age. Yeah, you have to be, <laughs> especially nowadays, for sure. Uh, Coach, I, I definitely want to get some more materials from you on that. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, and also, I, I love to get the huddle video because I, I love uh, – I want to see what you guys do on offense and defense, and I, I would love to see that. Oh, absolutely. I'll have my assistant add you to it. What I want you to do is just, uh, just email me with all your information and your address, and I'll send you that stuff too. That would be great. Coach, thank you so much. And I, I am looking forward. I'm, I'm going to try to get you and Brad on um, the Zoom meeting, man. I think that would be awesome. That would be worth a million bucks, man. That would be great. Yeah, we'd have a lot of fun. You'd have a lot of laughs on that. <laughs> For sure. Coach, All thank right. you so much, man. Stay healthy. Thank you. Yeah, take care. Bye. All right. You too. Bye. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and you are listening to the Championship Vision Podcast. Hey, coaches, this is Brad Hillegas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division I, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. If you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning.